We're going to continue this week looking at the life of Moses and, you know, kind of continuing in that journey that he took and seeing the lessons he, he learned and the experiences he had, realizing that his, his life and example is a message for us and a message for the church of the last days. You know, God wants to put a message in our hearts and he's going to use his church to display that message to the nations in the last days. And, you know, he's going to allow the gospel to go out to every corner of the earth. And of course, we're, we're hoping for a mighty outpouring of his spirit for that to take place. But at the same time, he's looking for people who have a message worked into their lives and have met God. And, and so we're just going to continue looking at, at the story of Moses but this week, we're coming to, I think, we could say it's probably one of the most surprising aspects of the story of, of his life and ministry. It's something we can read over quickly and just say, what was that about? You know, because it's just so out of the ordinary and different for what, you know, he was experiencing and how God was leading him. You know, because we've seen how God... Uh, met Moses at the burning bush and how Moses was commissioned. He was empowered. And then he's going out into that calling and to set the people of God free and lead them to the promised land. But the surprising thing that happens is as he was going, we read this account of God seeking to kill Moses. I mean, I don't know about the first time. I don't know if you can remember reading that the first time be like, wait a minute, what? Did I read that right? God's commissioning Moses at the burning bush and now he wants to kill him? What's that about? I don't know. Well, let's, let's read those verses. Exodus 4.24. So he's just leaving the burning bush and it says, it came to pass as he's on his way to, to Egypt, it says at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. And then his wife Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go, meaning God. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And so here's Moses. God was seeking to kill him because his son was not circumcised. Now, there's a lot of lessons for us in here, but, but really here's, here is the danger for everyone who seeks to be a messenger of the gospel of Jesus is that God has a desire, but I think it's even more powerful than that, an expectation that his messengers reflect the message that they're bringing. And this is especially true when God calls someone and he says, give this message go out, speak, and so forth, you know, and whether it's maybe for the work of the ministry or maybe a task, a commission, a specific work, because in reality, he's not just telling us to share words. He's telling us to share a message, not just with our lips, but with our life. And in fact, we're called to be living epistles read by everyone. And so we are to be the message. You know, Daniel and his friends, 
You know, one of the things in, in looking at and studying that book and teaching it, you know, Daniel and his friends, they all had good Hebrew names, right? They, they are all good Hebrew boys and they're given names and each has a meaning that relates to God. And of course, we know Daniel, that means the judge of God. But one of his friends was named Mishael. And his name had a specific meaning. It, it means, who is God? Or you could say, what is God like? How would you like to have that name? Oh, what, what does your name mean there, there, little Hebrew boy? Well, my name means, who is God? <laughs> I'm going to show you what God's like. That would kind of put a little fear in me. You know, when people come to understand my name means this is what God is like. I'm, going to, I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you. But, you know, in a sense, that is our name. We're Christians. We're little Christs. We are to display the message of Christ in our life. That is our name. We're, we're to be an example of a life that God can transform. Now, it's not that we, we need to be like some super Christian, right? To be per, some awesome example to people. And we have to come up with things, awesome stories and things to say and powerful experiences to tell people. You know, that's, that's not it. There's, not, there's really nothing super or extraordinary about us other than what we've allowed God to do in us and through us. That's, that's the extraordinary message. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it's the work he wants to do in our lives and then do through us in the lives of others. You know, and God wants to do a work to, to such a degree. It's as, as he said to this to his disciples when he was speaking to them on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the context is, is how we're to display the love of God even to our enemies. And he said this in Matthew 5, 48. How are we, how are we to relate to others, even our enemies? Be perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. That's an amazing statement, right? And, you know, it's seemingly impossible be, be perfect, you know, and how, how, can that how can that be? How can we be perfect to the degree of our Heavenly Father? And of course, you know, different translations say different things, but when you look in the original language, the Greek word used for perfect here is teleos, which means to come to full age or completion. Uh, it's the same word used in Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. And this this talks about how those there's some who can drink the milk of the word, but they never grow. But then there are those who have the solid food or strong meat. They are the ones who come to teleos, which is full age, because they've fed on the richness of the, the word of God. And that's one of the components for growing. And so that is, that's God's purpose for us to come to teleos, to you know, as the good old King James says, perfection, but really it, it means to be made complete, to be made whole. And so coming back to Moses, here's the issue with Moses. He's called to be the deliverer and he's called to be the lawgiver. But there's a lack. 
And what's he lacking? The sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And so that's a big deal to God. You know, really, the two covenants that we're reading about in Scripture here, the old and the new, they're, all, they're covenants based on circumcision. That's how they're fulfilled. And, you know, we know that in the Old Testament, it's in the outward and the natural. God said this to Abraham in Genesis 17.10. He said, this is my covenant. Here it is in a nutshell. You will keep it. It will be between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. It was not optional. It was not like, well, if I feel like it or so forth. If you wanted to be a participant of the covenant, you had to be circumcised. Right? And so that was, that was with Moses. And he made it really clear to his descendants. And so here, or sorry, that was with Abraham. And it, and it was, he made it really clear to his children, of which Moses was the son of, in the line of Levi. And so he knew it clearly. But the problem was Moses didn't circumcise his son. And so here was the man of God. He's called to be Israel's leader, to lead them into the covenant of God. But he himself was breaking that covenant. He wasn't living the message in that respect, you could say. And, you know, and even though God loved Moses, he called him at the burning bush, he commissioned him. When Moses stepped out in that place of leadership, not fulfilling the covenant, God couldn't allow it. Couldn't go on. Thankfully, Moses had a wife. And she stepped in at that, at that moment, at that time, right? And fulfilled the law as God was requiring it. And, you know, Pastor Bailey in his commentary, he said that during, the, during his 40 years in the wilderness, Moses appears to have entered into a per- period of spiritual discouragement. Right where he was, he was struggling for a long season. We can we can understand in a dry season to believe, to obey, and here God was met met with him and was bringing him back to that place of being used and being empowered and being commissioned. But he still had that issue, and thankfully his wife stepped in and made up for that lack at his moment of need. And so that's. You know, that's why it's important to allow God to choose for you, especially when it comes to your, your spouse. I know we all understand that here. But you know, a spouse is to be a helpmate, to walk with each other, to encourage each other in times of weakness, to encourage each other not to give up. And that's why I appreciate my helpmate. She's helped me when I've wanted to give up and so forth, and vice versa. But... Moses had fallen short in this area of circumcision. And, you know, we mentioned it was the sign of the covenant. In the the old covenant, it was the outward sign in the flesh. But really, that was just a picture or a type of what God wants to do in our hearts. And, And Paul said several times very clearly that, you know, what God is looking for is not in the outward, in the flesh. He's looking to do something in our hearts, right? The new covenant is circumcision of the heart. It's the cutting away of the nature we were born with to set us free from that 
so that he can put something new within us. You know, when the, in the early church, when the, some Pharisees kind of accepted Christ and came into the church, but they kind of brought their mindsets in and they started to tell people, well, you know, you need to get circumcised to really be saved, to be a real Christian, you got to be circumcised. And that was troubling for a lot of people, especially some of the Gentile Christians. Right? And that caused an uproar. And the Apostle Paul had to come in and, and bring clarity and encourage people to, to realize what is really God really after. Because the Lord made it clear in the Old Testament. You know, even in the Old Covenant, he made clear what he was looking for. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6. It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. That's really it. Even to the children of Israel in the wilderness, God said what he's really looking for. God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And here's the purpose. That you may live. That you may have life and life eternally and life abundantly as Jesus shared in the Gospel of John. But here's the requirement, a heart that has been circumcised, that we've allowed God to come and to cut away the things we were born with, that in one sense they, they block the life that he wants to bring because they hinder that, resist what God will do. And so he got, wants to come into our hearts and deal with those things. You know, the parable of the sower talks about those who receive spiritual life for a time, but then the thorns come up and they choke out what that fruit that, that is, is starting to grow up. Then the thorns, Jesus said, speak of the cares of life, the concerns of this world. And, you know, if our hearts remain uncircumcised, we can have life, but it gets choked out because the circumcision is not taking place. And we can't come into the fullness of that life. And so sometimes, you know, God has to come in. Well, not sometimes. All the time, Jesus has to come into our hearts. And he comes in sometimes with a sword. I like it when he comes in with a scalpel. And it's, you know, usually I think he comes with the scalpel. But then if, we're, if we keep resisting, then he comes with the sword. And he <laughs> starts whacking. But, you know, God wants to come. He wants to move. And, you know, it's interesting, this account with Moses, when you look at his life and then, it, and then the journey, this happened when he was beginning the third part of his ministry, right? Because he had 40 years in Egypt, then he had 40 years in the wilderness, and now what's he doing? He's crossing into his final and third part, his 40 years of leading Israel. And we can relate that to the journey, which is being called out of Egypt you know, being chosen in the wilderness, but, but then coming into the promised land. And what, what is the border to come into the promised land? It's the Jordan River, right? That's the key of coming in to the promised land. It's crossing the Jordan, which speaks of the crucified life, and then coming to Gilgal, where that new generation was circumcised and they were set free. You know, and, and they were set free. It actually specifically, you know, says that, talks about it because 
For all the time they were in the wilderness, their eyes were looking to a certain place, and that was back, backwards. They were always looking to Egypt. They were always looking to what, the, what they had to give up and what they used to have and, and so forth. And all remember those good times we had and the good food we ate and the, you know, the fun we had. It's funny, when you look back, you never remember the bad times, only the good times. There's something about our brains that we forget. But, you know, when they, when they came to Gilgal, a miracle happened. Joshua 5 and verse 8, it says, It came to pass when they, were, they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their place in their camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Wherefore the name of that place is called Gilgal unto this day. You know, spiritual circumcision, when we allow God to work in our hearts, it causes a burden to roll off from us. And what is that burden? It's setting us free from what we were born with. Those things that try to control us, try to turn us, try to get our eyes looking back to Egypt and back to our old life and back to the things of this world and it, you know, getting basically looking to things that are, are going to resist the life of the Spirit growing and increasing in us. But God, when He brings His circumcision he rolls off that burden and removes those things so that our eyes are set on Him. You know, wouldn't you love to have that experience where you're only just looking to what is ahead of you? You're looking to, to what God has. You're looking to heaven, you know, and the old things don't attract you anymore. They don't have the power over you that they once had. That's circumcision. And that's the example that we must set as the Moses company. Because God is looking for those who have been set free from the past. And that's their message. And they're a living example of that. Now, just a few more thoughts on, on this story. Because there's one aspect, I hadn't really considered this before with Moses, is the area he was being tested in. You know, it wasn't Moses who was not circumcised. It was his son. And that's kind of scary too. You know, it was a test in his family. And sometimes God will ordain challenging tests when it comes to family. You know, I think we talked last time about how the key to ministering to God and for him is by being connected to his heart. You know, we can't just minister from the law, right? Because then we just be correcting people all the time and telling them how they keep messing up. But we can't just minister from a place of mercy either, of just, oh, God will have mercy. Oh, don't worry about it. Because then that can, we can be in danger of disregarding righteousness and truth and so forth. You know, we have to be connected to God's heart of truth, righteousness, and mercy. You know, we've often considered the two kings of Jehoshaphat and Ahab, right? And they're polar opposites, right? Because one, one's righteous, Jehoshaphat, one's evil, Ahab. But Jehoshaphat so desperately wanted 
restoration and unity with the tribes, which is a noble goal. You know, and so when Ahab asked him, hey, would you like to join an expedition to fight the enemy of, of Israel? He said that Joshua, Jehoshaphat replied this in 1 Kings uh, 22 and verse 4. He said, well, I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. You know, that was his heart. He, he wanted to have a heart of mercy. But it wasn't connected to God's heart. That was his problem. And of course, he almost died in that battle, but by the mercy of God. And his lineage was almost destroyed when he allowed his, he encouraged his son or allowed his son to marry into the line of Ahab. But you see, there was something in Jehoshaphat's heart that was not circumcised, that was moving him in a certain direction that almost destroyed him. You know, he didn't have a circumcised heart when it came to his family, so to speak, you know, of wanting to be united with the northern tribes. But, you know, it's circumcision that allows us to see clearly, to see as God sees, so that we can connect to his heart of righteousness and his heart of mercy. And it's so important that we are connected to that because you know, especially with family, that tugs at the heart. And we sometimes we're like, Lord, what do we do? And we have to see from God's perspective. You know, we have the, the words that Jesus recorded for us in, uh, in Luke 14. But I, I was struck by the heading, at least in my Bible, I think in, in several translations, when Jesus is talking in Luke 14, you know, I know man has added this heading to kind of summarize it, but I still think it's significant because the heading says the cost of discipleship. What is the cost of discipleship? And so, and then Christ shares this in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be to my disciple. And then he goes on to share the parable of counting the cost. Whether we have what it takes to finish, uh, you know, our, our journey. And one of the illustrations is building a tower. Do we have enough resources to complete the tower? Or uh, another one is waging war. Do we have enough soldiers to defeat that enemy and be victorious? But, you know, I've, I've kind of come to realize the real message of these parables is that the true disciple has come to the place or has come to the realization that following Christ is worth any cost. It's worth any cost. It's not, do I have what it takes? Because we don't. But in Christ, we have what it takes. And so really the message is, have I come to the place where I can find what I need in Christ and it's worth it to follow him through whatever situation? But what Jesus is sharing is just sharing many things that have to be circumcised, that have to be separated from our hearts so that we can connect to his heart and have his perspective and see through his eyes. There's going to be a cost and at times it seems 
awfully high. But in the end, it's worth it. Because following Christ is worth any cost. Because, you know, the end of the matter is that Christ is coming for a glorious church without spot and wrinkle. Because the glorious church is going to come to completion. Because they've allowed God to work in their hearts, to do a full work in their hearts. And, you know, the message of Moses is the call to come to perfection or completion. You know, there are, there are areas we fall short in, right? And we recognize that from Moses' story as well. You know, it's interesting that when you, you read certain characters in the Bible, some, God didn't allow us to see any faults in their lives. I think that's interesting, right? I mean, you can read about Daniel or Joseph or Ezra, and we don't read any of their shortcomings. Now, it's, I don't think it's because they didn't have any. Right? They're still human. But, but then with others, God allowed us to see their flaws. And it's not for without reason. It's not just because they messed up and, oh, now your flaws have to be in the Bible. I think it's, it's for our instruction. Because the last day church, the glorious church, it's not going to be made up of perfect individuals but they will be a perfected people because they've allowed God to make them whole and complete, not to have a lack in their lives, but it's through circumcision and through many seasons of allowing God to do that work. And we can understand that with one final scripture. James 1 and verse 4 it says, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, or the Greek teleos, entire, lacking nothing. You see, that's the place God wants to bring us to, teleos, wholeness, completion, to be grown up into fullness, into maturity. You know, and circumcision, it speaks of an experience and really a deep work, a deeper work where we, that we've allowed to take place in us. And sometimes it's through much patience and letting God, being patient as we let him work, have, have a complete work. Actually, it says, let patience have her teleos work. You see, if we let God work as he sees fit in his time, fullness of time, teleos, he brings us to teleos, to fullness, to completion, where we lack nothing. Don't you want to come to heaven and look back and say, Lord, to me, I'm going to be like, that's the biggest miracle <laughs> of all, that I look back and I'm like, Lord, I'm not lacking anything? That's my prayer. Lord, let me get to heaven. And that's what a day of rejoicing it'll be. Yes, because I see Jesus, but also I'm going to look at, wow, I'll let him do a full work in me. You see, that's the, that, what a day of rejoicing it will be. Because we've allowed God to work, to have a full work. And so, if we with patience allow a perfect work to take place, we will be made whole. 
so that we'll enter into our promised land as Israel did, so that we can overcome and take our inheritance for eternity because we've walked in the full message of the gospel of Christ. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you allowed us to see this window into your servant, into Moses, and Lord, that you had to work in him. And Lord, we just, we acknowledge, Lord, that we are also your servants who need a work in our lives. And so, Lord, we're just coming to you and asking that you would work afresh in us. Lord, we just present our hearts to you, Lord, because we acknowledge, Lord, we need a work of circumcision. Lord, there's areas that we were born with that, oh God, get in the way. They, there's a resistance, Lord, to, to you and to the work of your spirit and to, to overcoming our enemies. And so, Lord, would you do that, that work? Circumcise our hearts afresh. Bring your scalpel, oh God, and cut away what we were born with. Lord, that you could have a full work in us. Lord, that we would be complete, not lacking a single thing. Do that in our lives, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.